0: Middle of this last week, during our evening daddy Bible time with the kids before they get in bed, I, I was reading through the story in the book of Acts where Peter heals the lame beggar. If you might remember that story, that's where Peter is the one who is standing in front of the temple and he sees this lame beggar, and lame beggar is asking for alms for silver and gold, and he looks down at them and he says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. And I read this out loud to the kids, that in the name of Jesus, stand, and the man stood up. Almost immediately, Gabe asked the question, he's my six-year-old boy, he says, what does it mean, in the name of Jesus? Why does he say, in the name? Why doesn't he just heal him? Naomi was quick to answer. She's, she's our, our four year old. Oh, I know, I know, I know, I know. Jesus is God's middle name, she said. Many people know about as much as Jesus, as much about Jesus as that. But what you believe about Jesus is eternally critical. In fact, I'm just going to go ahead and start the sermon the way I hope to end it today. And that's by saying that what you believe about Jesus will determine for you your eternal state, that it really matters that you believe true things about Jesus. We can laugh, and it is kind of funny to hear about how a, a young mind processes through her understanding of the nature of God and of the nature of Jesus. But those errors, if not dealt with, if not worked out, if not understood beyond, in our Christian life, could have eternally damning consequences. In other words, to die in Christ is more blessed than life, but to die apart from him, and a right understanding of who he is, is to spend eternity in hell, separated from God for forever the passage this morning is from the same text we've been in when we've been through Hebrews for the past several weeks. We're going to be in Hebrews verses 1, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 again, and we're going to hone in on verse 4, the second half of 3 and verse 4. If you have your Bibles with you, go to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 out loud, and then we're going to go back through at a slower pace. having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I I implore you to help me. Help me as I preach through this, as we worship through the preaching and the hearing of God's word. I pray that you would be honored. I pray that the saints, that Christians who will hear this will be honored well-served, will be helped, will be edified. And that those who do not believe rightly in Jesus would have what faith that they do have shaken and that they would see him for who he really is. And so, Lord, I ask you this morning, as I often do as I preach I ask you for a miracle this morning that cannot be accomplished by mere teaching, that cannot be accomplished even through careful study and delivery by a mere man, but Lord, we ask for you to send your Holy Spirit into the hearts of people to convict of sin and to teach truth and to draw unto salvation. As we pray this in Jesus' name. I'm do the second half of verse 3, which is about where we left off the last time we were in Hebrews. After making purification for sins, he, Jesus, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This says, after making purification for sins, this is a letter written to Hebrew people. Those who would have understood the basics of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant law the ceremonial structures, the rituals by which a person would demonstrate their faith in God and be purified, cleansed from sin. The priests of the Old Testament would offer a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice that would serve to purify the person who offered it up. Jesus makes purification for sins. This word purification is also rendered cleansing many other places in the New Testament. What this should evoke for us right off the bat is that our sins make us impure, that you and I need to be purified by the work of Jesus on the cross. You and I have been contaminated by our own sinful nature, by nature and by choice. We have been so deformed that we need to be made pure. Titus 2.14 says, of Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And after making the purification for these sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. It's a good question for you. If you know anything about the Old Testament priestly activities of those who would offer up sacrifices... I want you to imagine for a moment an Old Testament priest. In the morning, he has started his shift. He's begun preparing sacrifices for those who are bringing them forward, sin sacrifices amongst others. What would a priest do after presenting a sacrifice for the sins of a, of a man representing his family? Laying the animal on the altar? Presenting that burnt sin offering what would he do after he finished presenting that offering the answer is he would do it all over again he would go right back to the next person in line and he would repeat again and after his shift was over and he went to sleep and he woke up the next morning what would he do then he would offer more sacrifices again This is to say that it is significant that Jesus, after making purification for sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Work finished. Work complete. He's done. Your purification, my purification, the purification for any and all who will ever believe in Jesus has been made complete. He no longer stands at the altar in order to continually offer sacrifices. But he has, once and for all, offered a sacrifice. So where is Jesus today? Seated at the right hand of his Father in heaven. The right hand of the majesty on high. The once and for all sacrifice of Jesus is one of the big repeated themes in the book of Hebrews. In fact, there is little that is stated in these two verses... Verse 3 and 4, actually the first verses 1 through 4, this little that is stated there that will not be more fully dealt with later in this epistle. In fact, other places will hammer this much more. And so we're going we're gonna to pause, we're going to come back to this idea of Jesus once and for all sacrifice, his purification for our sins. We're going to come back to that again in future weeks, much future weeks, months even. But this verse continues, the sentence continues having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Now the rest of this entire chapter, chapter 1, is intended to prove the point from the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus is greater than, that he is superior to the angels. And so we're going to hammer that over and over for the next several weeks that we are here in chapter 1, the book of Hebrews. But notice something about this sentence, this this second half of this sentence. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So the difference between the greatness of Jesus and that of the angels is proportionate to the difference between his name and theirs. So here's the question that I hope to deal with this morning. What does it mean that Jesus has inherited this excellent name? And so for the rest of our time, I'm going to try to help solve the problem. Those two things. What does it mean that Jesus inherited anything? And what does it mean that his name is more excellent than theirs? In upcoming weeks, we'll spend significant time on how he is superior to the angels, even become superior to the angels. We're gonna walk through that in future weeks as well. What is this inheritance and this excellent name? First, let's talk about inheritance. I want you to think for a moment about what an, an inheritance is. Even just our modern context, when you hear that somebody is about to receive an inheritance, what comes to mind? You might be thinking, as I do, that an inheritance is property or possession received from one's predecessor, typically received at death. So someone in their will determines to pass possessions to someone who has come after them, someone who is to live after them, and this typically, is ratified, is made complete is actually accomplished when that person dies. I tried to explain this to my son Gabe recently. He was oogling one of my uh, camping knives. He, He and I share a love for sharp things. My daughters think they're kind of cool, but they don't care as much. He really likes sharp things, and so do I. And I explained to him when he was he was looking at my camping knife and he was looking at his camping knife. He's like, Well, mine's cool, yours is bigger, yours is cool. I was like, Well, you know, Gabe, one day you can have all of my knives. You can have all of them. And in my mind, I was thinking probably before I die, but I love my son, I want for him to have good things. I love my daughters I want for them to have good things. And my son standing there before me, I could tell wanted that knife. He was curious as to what I meant, but what do you you mean? Like, you're just going to give me everything that you own? Like, well, you know, someday, someday when I die, I want for all of my children to have every good thing that remains of my life. I want you to have everything good. And I I expect that as my only son right now, I expect that you'll probably be the most likely recipient of the more masculine kind of things, and you'll probably be the recipient of other notable things that aren't specifically man, you know? And I don't know what those will be, and you guys will have to determine those, but they're they're for you. And so far, the girls don't care about these knives. You do. So I would love for you to have them. When we talk about inheritance in that way, we get a little bit of an understanding of it. But when we see inheritance like this being spoken of, applied to Jesus, and some kind of exchange happening between the Father and the Son, it could sound... Like Jesus receives something at a point in time that was not previously his. In other words, I say to Gabe, that's not yours. Someday it might be yours. So what do we do with this inheritance language about Jesus? What is different about the way that Gabe is my heir and Jesus is the father's heir regarding inheritance? What's different? I wanna propose for you there's at least three very significant differences between the way that you might expect to receive an inheritance from your successor and your children might expect to receive an inheritance from you. There's at least three things. First, the one giving the inheritance, me. And that, and that illustration of me giving things to my son, I, I am one point of difference between me and the Father. I might change my mind. I might write my son out of my will. You ever heard of that happening? It's awful when it happens, and it's family damaging when it happens, but I'd be willing to bet that many, if not all of you, have heard of or maybe even known somebody who has experienced just that. That there's a kind of family fracturing of such a kind that would make it that a father would not want to give any good things to his own son. I pray that that would never happen in my heart or something in my relationship between me and my son. But it is possible that in my own folly and sinfulness and the wickedness of the earth, that I could change my mind, I could write him out of my will. There's at least one difference right there. More fundamentally, when I die, all of the possessions will no longer be mine. Dead people don't own things. That's why Jesus tells you, don't store up treasures on earth. You're not taking it with you. Naked I came into the world, naked I will depart. Right there, there's one major difference. The one giving the inheritance is already different in the way that we might think of inheritance. God is not a man like that. What's the second difference? The heir, the one receiving the inheritance, gave First of all, Gabe will have to survive beyond me. And that's my hope. It's my prayer and expectation. It's, we don't know. Second, Gabe is not my only child. He will have to share the inheritance with his sisters. And if all of a sudden, one of his sisters develops a greater love and appreciation for some of the possessions that I own, she might be more likely to receive those things than him. Regardless, whatever I have, if it was liquidated at the end of my life, and we tried to fairly share that amongst our heirs, Laura and I, amongst our children, it would be divided. And lastly, the inheritance is different. The property, the possession being given from the one providing the inheritance to the one receiving it. I might lose that knife. It might get broken. It might lose its value. I may leave it at a campsite someday and he will not receive it as it is his inheritance. You see what I'm saying? There's at least three major differences between the way that inheritance can be applied to the Father and the Son and the Godhead and between the way a a person can provide an inheritance for their heir. None of those things are true about the way that Jesus is the heir of the Father. The Father is perfect. He is everlasting. He is unchanging. What comes to mind is passages like Numbers 23, verse 19. This is a good one to commit to memory. God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he spoke, as he said, and will, will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? So, if God has promised an inheritance to his son, it is not possible for that to not come to pass. That's already different than a human, it's already different than us. Jesus never had to worry about whether his father would write him out of a will. Additionally, the father will never die that what he possesses will stop being his. Whatever Jesus could inherit from his Father would be essentially shared between Father and Son for forever, and Spirit for that matter. Essentially, this does not mean that there isn't a distinction between Father and between Son and between Holy Spirit, but essentially there will not be attributes incommunicable that will belong to one and not the other. Jesus does not have authority over the earth so the Father doesn't because Jesus has the earth. You get what I'm saying? He doesn't trade hands in the same way. This is why Jesus says in John 16, 15, all that the Father has is mine. That's how Jesus can say this. He doesn't say someday, someday it'll be mine. Everything that belongs to the Father belongs to the Son. This is, this is significant. We can't quite... Say this about human heirs today. The son is different. Jesus is different than my son gave. He's different than your heir. Jesus exists eternally. Look at John 17, 5. Jesus says, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus is not a creature who attained divinity. Jesus had glory with the Father before the world existed. And he didn't just have it, he had it with the Father. The life of Jesus is not a rags-to-riches story. Additionally, Jesus is the only Son of God. He's then the only rightful heir. He does not have to share his inheritance. look at what it said a couple of verses earlier in Hebrews one and two. "But in these last days he has God, the Father, has spoken to us by His Son Jesus, whom He appointed the heir of all things. I know I hammered that when we talked through this. All things. there's nothing outside of the authority of Jesus. Now, you may know that the New Testament speaks of believers as fellow heirs with Jesus, co-heirs with Christ, that we receive an inheritance. You might know this language. But that should not be taken to understand that the more believers there are in heaven, the more divided your share. That every time a new believer gets saved, Jesus goes, a little less for me, a little more to them. The reason we get any inheritance is that we have the inheritance in Christ. All things are his, And any and every good thing we get, we get because we are in him. Does that make sense? So it's not as though we are equal, brothers and sisters with Christ, in that the inheritance is divided so that he will not retain all authority but a portion of the pie, and each of us else gets a slice, right? All authority will be his, is his. All that exists is his possession, his inheritance. And you and I have that inheritance in him. That's the point of the inheritance language. Jesus is both the heir and at the same time, he eternally retains all that belongs to God. Now, here's why I'm pausing on this. You may, you may not have stumbled over this when you were reading through. But the reason that I want you to see this is so that you will not stumble over this inheritance language. That you will not, as many people in history, think wrongly about the nature of Jesus. There are so many errant views of Jesus that seek to undermine what the Bible says is true about him. And even in passages like this, inheritance kinds of passages, we are given guardrails to keep us from thinking that he is a created being, that he was not there from the beginning, through whom... Also, he created the world. All things are his. The next verse in verse three, the first half of it that we didn't read, I didn't put up there for you today, is that he is the exact imprint of God. That he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This kind of language can keep us from thinking for a moment that Jesus did not have some things that he later had to receive. There are so many profound errors regarding the way one might view Jesus. And there are profound mysteries that you and I will not be able to resolve this side of glory. But it is by the same mystery that Jesus is both Son of God and God, that the Word was with God and was God. It is by that same mystery that Jesus eternally retained possession of all things and received an inheritance from his father. If this is still a stumbling block for you, we're not done dealing with it. We're going to get to Hebrews 2, notably verse 9. And when we get there, we're going to have to pause again. We're going to walk through. In what way might Jesus receive something as a result of his life and death that he did not have prior to it? We're going to have to look at that. But what specifically does verse 4 say that Jesus inherited? What is it that was inherited by Jesus that should be the, the illustration of, the evidence of his superiority over the angels? The name that he has inherited, that's what it is. It is the name. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The name. The name. What name? What does it mean that he's inherited a name that is more excellent than theirs? What does that mean? You and I have a name. That's what people call us. It's how people refer to the person of you. It's how they distinguish between you and others when they're putting a list together of friends or colleagues. So what name is being talked about right here? Here's here's what I want to do. I want you to consider for a moment how the Bible talks about the name of Jesus. And I'm going to throw about a dozen verses here. I'm going to go quickly through them. And I want you to consider the way that the Bible uses this language, the name of the second member of the Trinity. First consider the way that the New Testament refers to the name of Jesus regarding salvation. Look at Acts 4, 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Note that. It does not say there's salvation in no one else, for there's no other person. It doesn't say that language. It says there's no other name. Matthew 12, 21. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Not, not in the It doesn't, the wording is not in the person of Jesus. The wording is in his name, the Gentiles will hope. John 1, 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Look what it says in John 3, 18. It says the same thing and then the opposite side of it. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. It's not that they didn't believe that Jesus wasn't standing there in front of them. It's not that they didn't believe that he was doing mighty works. Many of the Pharisees believed Jesus was doing mighty works. They saw them. They were trying to deal with his mighty works. They witnessed him doing those miracles and wonders on the Sabbath. And they made them hate him. They believed he could heal people. But they didn't believe in the name of the only Son of God. It says in Acts 2:21, "And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved." Acts 8:12, but when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God, hear the gospel, they believed what he said, and the name of Jesus Christ. they were baptized both men and women. They believed in the preaching about the name of Jesus Christ. Have you seen these? I had to cut tons of these out because I didn't want to just go too far on on, on this. These are all over the New Testament. If you want to do a quick study, just running through all the places that this word is used referring to Jesus, it's significant talks about the name of Jesus, the name of Christ, the name of Lord, the name of the Son, over and over. Sometimes it's just the name, capital N. Consider what the New Testament says about the supremacy of the name of Jesus. Look at this. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Ephesians 1, says, similarly, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in Jesus, this is Jesus, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. You see this. Look at what it says regarding Christian living. Go Go therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, what? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 2, 19 says, But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Your Christian living is to be an appeal to our knowledge that Jesus is the name of the Lord of the name of the Lord, that he, he is the one who names the name of the Lord. We are the ones who name him, that we acknowledge about Jesus what is true of him. Matthew 10, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. You have seen these verses all over the New Testament. John 17, 11, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them, this is the disciples, keep them in your name, which you have given me. see this our perseverance is made possible by our being kept in the name which is shared by the father and the son this can remind us of what the old testament says about the name of god for my name's sake i defer my anger For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you that I may not cut you off. So the sinful activities of the people of God in the Old Testament, deserving of God's just wrath, he gave mercy and did not bring it in the way that might have been expected for his own name's sake. Jeremiah says the same thing. They cry out to God, Though our iniquities testify against us, act, O Lord, for your name's sake. See how the whole Bible talks about the name of God. This is much more than the term we use to refer to an individual, isn't it? This is the reputation of Jesus. This is who he is. So here's a stab at what is meant by the name the name is the true nature of Christ realized. It's not just that he has the name Jesus. Lots of people are named Jesus. There are people in the New Testament who are named Jesus that aren't Jesus. You ever met someone named Jesus? There's lots of people with that name. They may pronounce it Jesus or something in different cultures. There's lots of people named Jesus. Did you know that Jesus is named after an Old Testament character? Do you know what Jesus is, the name? It's Joshua from the Old Testament. It's a different pronunciation of the exact same name. It means Jehovah saves. Is, is, is this passage in, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4, saying that the name Jesus is better than the name Gabriel, which means mighty man of God, pretty cool name. Is the name Jesus Jehovah saves, is that, is that more excellent than the name Michael, the only other named angel in the Bible, which means who is like the Lord? It obviously means way more than this. It's not just that Jesus taught true things. Many people taught true things. It's not just that Jesus died. Everyone dies. It's not just that Jesus did miracles. Many people have done miracles. We've even been cautioned to not believe people who do miracles not in Jesus' name. False miracles. It's not just that Jesus is supernatural. Demons are supernatural. It's not just that Jesus came from heaven. Angels come from heaven. What does it mean, the name, that he is God, that he is who he said that he is, to believe in the name of Jesus, to cry out in the name of Jesus, to heal in the name of Jesus, to pray in the name of Jesus, to witness in the name of Jesus to work in the name of Jesus, is to do those things in a full acknowledgement of who He said He was. Many people can claim the word Jesus. Many people can even refer to the same historical figure of Jesus. But it is not proclaiming the name of the Lord if it is not acknowledging And realizing the true nature of Christ, that He is God. So, who is Jesus to you? What you believe about Jesus matters. In fact, it matters so much that it sets your trajectory not only in life but in eternity. It's the most important thing about you. You know, many people believe that there's a God and he's just referred to by different titles or names by various world religions. But the Bible shows us that the name of Jesus is more significant than a title we might offer or a a term that we might utilize to refer to him. It's not simply a word that we use to reference the man but it's what you believe about him. This is why we present the gospel. We share the gospel with people. We share what the Bible teaches to cry out in the name of the Lord, to cry out to Jesus to believe what he said about himself. Did you know that everything in your life sets against you to war against a right understanding of who Jesus is? Anything in your life can be weaponized and oftentimes is weaponized by your own flesh, by the world, by the enemy, the devil himself, in order to try to get us to believe untrue things about Jesus. And for you to just say, well, you know, I, but, I, but I just believe, I just believe in, in Jesus. What do you believe about him? I think it's so often for us to, to understand and have a, have a kind of immature view of who Jesus is, perhaps kind of like my daughter, I was introing with Jesus is the middle name of God. For us to grow in Christ-likeness, for us to see him who he is, is not to view the words of Scripture and look away and come up with our own convoluted ideas, but is to look at the words of Scripture and believe what Jesus said about himself. For you to believe in the name of Jesus means to acknowledge who he is and who he said that he was. There's so many people who say that they're spiritual. Have you ever met someone like this? Because they believe in supernatural things. Oftentimes someone who believes, well, I'm a spiritual person. That often means that that person sees that there's more than just the material. But you can be a demon worshiper and believe in more than material. You can be an angel worshiper. What do you think it is about Jesus that makes him so superior to the angels? Everything, there's nothing about Jesus that is inferior to the angels. The author's about to hammer, we're we're gonna go in here, the author's about to hammer over and over again about how he is greater than the angels. And the most incredible thing is that some people read through these passages in the book of Hebrews and then they look through chapter one of Hebrews and says that he's called son in a way that the angels are never called son. He receives worship from the angels. They give it to him. They are the servants of God. He is the heir of God. He is eternal. They were made over and over. People get to the end and they go, ah, Jesus is an angel. What? What you believe about Jesus matters. Do you realize what this means for you as a believer? Your sure promise for getting into heaven is not a mere angel. Not somebody down the org chart, but God Himself. So last Friday, a handful of men went to the Salt Lake Bees game. And as we were trying to get tickets all together, because we purchased them at the gate this year, we were kind of split up in, in a few different places. And as we got the number of how many guys were going to be there, went up to the ticket counter, and we needed know, like a dozen tickets or something right in, right in one spot. And the guy laughed. He said, like, You're not going to get all those tickets together. And so Jay, Jay went and found a, uh, one of those guys scalping tickets, and he's like, do you, have, do you have a dozen tickets together? And he's like, yeah, sure, I can hook you up. So we went out there, and we got, we got, those, we got the, the tickets from that guy, and then we went inside to go sit down. But I'll be honest, that as we were going inside, there was a part of me that's tentative, like, um, I heard, you heard stories, haven't you? But somebody who says, hey, we'll get you in. And, and what I've heard about most of those scalpers down there is that actually paid by Smith's ballpark, and they're the ones who are, are able to do that to continue getting more and more people on end, and they can drop prices and all that kind of stuff like that. So I'm hoping in the back of my mind, I hope this is legit, hope this is above reproach, hope it'll work out. And as I went to go hand my ticket to the guy who scanned it, a little barcode, there was that moment of hesitance. I hope it works. And if it didn't, what was I going to say? Uh, well, that guy, see him over there with all the tattoos and doing, stealing that lady's purse? He, he said it's okay. But imagine if the owner had come out and said, this guy's with me. Do you see how that association difference matters? You can have bold confidence. I'm with the owner. He's getting me in. This is the hope we have in Jesus, the one who made purification for you. Is not some underling. The owner of heaven has promised us entrance. We want to make much of association. Some people more than others. Have you ever met that? Have you ever met that person who quick to name drop? They want to associate themselves with someone else. Well, I've had people like this in my life. Hey, Tom, I I hear you're good at computers. Well, my brother's roommate used to be a janitor at Apple, so yeah. What? Guys, you and I don't have a back road in with the king. It is the king himself who purchased for us eternal life. Who made purification for sins and sat down. And he's waiting there. When a believer dies today and goes to be with the Lord right away, we stand before the throne of God. We don't say, I I think I got the tickets through some back channels. It matters to believe rightly about Jesus. The one who has eternally retained possession and authority over everything that exists, says your mind too. If you're not a believer, if in your heart you, you, you wonder, you're like, man, I don't have I acknowledged truth about Jesus? Have I, ever, have I ever let myself think he's not just some really righteous guy, but he's He's God? This is a watershed moment for a person when they realize, Jesus, he's God! He's God! He's the creator! He didn't just do worthy things that got him a special seat. He is the creator of all that exists. He died for our sins. He died on my behalf so that all that is deserving of punishment in me was placed upon his shoulders at the cross, that all punishment has been satisfied, the wrath of Almighty God can be seen as fulfilled, completed in his Son. That's who Jesus is. And if you've never acknowledged that, if you've never let that come into your mind, if you've never said, Jesus is God, that'd implore you to do that today. You need, you need to get in your mind right who is Jesus. Who is Jesus? You can get everything else right, but if you miss this, who cares? There have been many theologians and writers in church history who had right views about lots of things, could argue ferociously, very intellectually, clearly about many true things in the Bible, and at the end of the day they say, but Jesus wasn't God. He cannot be saved. Anyone who goes on and does not abide in the teaching of Jesus does not have God. You reject what Jesus taught about himself? You reject who he really is? You don't have God. If you want to know the a person is a believer, you meet someone, they're like, oh, yeah, 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 I'm a Christian. Lots, lots of worldviews call themselves Christian or are comfortable with that language. If you want to know, just ask what a person believes about Jesus. That'll get you there really fast. Here's what I'd like to do as we conclude this morning. For to acknowledge the name of Jesus. By acknowledge the name of Jesus, I mean to acknowledge everything that he said about himself. To say that what he said about himself was true. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through him then... Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. And we're going to do that by singing praises in the name and to the name of Jesus this morning. Let's pray. Lord, this morning I'm, I'm well aware that the things in our life that have been obstacles for us seeing Jesus and who He really is, need to be dealt with. Lord, I'm aware of of maybe several ways of thinking that may be hearing what I'm saying right now. Lord, it it may be believers who have not been celebrating the reality of who Jesus is as much as they ought. And that would be, at least, that would be all of us. Nobody, nobody has loved you and glorified you and worshipped you with everything that you are due. So, Lord, we repent of that. Help us to worship you more. Father, I know that there may be people here who say, well, I am a believer. I do believe. I hear Rich saying this. I, yes, of course, Jesus is God. Yes, he's God. But then tomorrow, they won't live like it. And Tuesday, something else will, will come in to their work or their mind or uh, some kind of work will land in front of their, their faces on their desk. Something will distract. Maybe even good things will draw them away from acknowledging and worshiping Jesus, and living as though the God of the universe wants a relationship with us. Lord, I I pray that you would help my brothers and sisters in Christ who need particular encouragement this week to acknowledge who Jesus is by their life, by their choices, by what they choose to do and not to do, And Lord, I also know that there may be people who will hear this, either here today or maybe driving in another car, hearing this on the radio or on a podcast someday. And they're not sure that you're God. Lord, I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to convict the heart of a person who has never acknowledged or or just dealt with, not just to say words. Anyone can say words, God. I, I know this. Anyone can just claim something but to believe in their heart that Jesus is who, that he, who he said that he was. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict that if there is anyone who will hear this today that they will not let their head hit the pillow tonight without dealing with this, that they will not eat again until they saw in their heart and their mind who is Jesus. And Lord, I ask all of these things to be accomplished in a way that no man could possibly do. So Lord, Lord go with those today who hear these things Help us to be served in this way that we may give you the glory you are due. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.